The Heather McCoy Show. Welcome to the Heather McCoy Show. We're in the middle of a fun drive right now. 949-824-5824 for a $35 pledge. You can get a t-shirt and uh, you can get a CD uh, for that uh, donation. So a t-shirt or CD for a minimum of $35 donation. That's a really good uh, starting level. Usually you don't get swag with the $35 uh, pledge premium, especially in the LA market for public radio. 949-824-5824 is the number. Um, you'll support shows like mine where Neil DeMoss and I can go on for a good 15 minutes about different games the 1% plays against uh, the rest of us as far as stadiums go and some of the other interviews that I have done of throughout the year it really does help out 949-824-5824 is a number to reach us we do have uh two phone volunteer answer phone thingies to pick up your line so that would be great if you want to pick up and dial 949-824-5824 for the heather mccoy show and then for a 50 dollars pledge you can get uh two kci t-shirts or two cds or one of each and then um, it goes up from there, and it gets even better if you want to go towards a hundred or two hundred dollar level. All donations are appreciated if you can't do it with one one if within one of those brackets. Uh, but anyways, nine four nine eight two four five eight two four, and uh, we're going to start off the Heather McCoy show right now. In our middle segment today, we'll be talking to San Diego sports talk icon Lee Hacksaw Hamilton, who could heard, be heard regularly on the Mighty Ten Ninety. And then rounding out the hour, we'll have Robert Larson join us from the other side of the Cleveland National Forest. But first, we'll start off with a regular contributor, the blogger behind FailedTheSchemes dot com, Neil DeMoss. Welcome to the show, Neil. Hey, good morning. Good morning. So um, we'll start off in Chicago, where the second oldest ballpark in baseball, Wrigley Field, is under, thro- under threat of, quote, improvements that include a 60 by 100 giant jumbotron scoreboard in left field to block out the rooftop owners from across the street. As an admirer of old ballpark stories like this is what first got me into the issue of uh, ballparks and the owners that want to replace them every year if they could with ta- on the taxpayer's dime. Um, I know you don't fully understand Chicago politics, but what are the forces that can stop the Jumbotron at this point? Well, I mean, there's a lot. Uh, there's, first of all, you know, the, the mayor announced a little while back at this agreement with the Cubs on the renovation deal. Um, but it wasn't actually a real agreement that specified what was in the agreement. It was one of these, well, we've agreed to come to an agreement agreement. <laughs> um, the good news is that it looks like the Cubs won't be getting any cash or direct tax breaks from the city. Um, the bad news is that they want all kinds of other stuff, and one of them obviously is the right to build this, this humongous scoreboard that's three times the size of the uh, existing scoreboard. Um, uh, and would require them to like support it by building the walls Wrigley Field out into the middle of the street. Um, so I believe they still want uh, to take over the street and use it for a uh, a uh, an open air concessions area on game days, which is probably not a terrible idea in terms of uh, in terms of you know usage and you know ability for the fans to buy stuff. Although it is a big giveaway if the city doesn't get any cut of that money. Um, and they want to put big ad boards on the outside of Wrigley Field just to run to show ads to people passing by. You know, these are these are big questions. Um, you know, the mayor still has to agree to them. Um, the Chicago Landmarks Commission still needs to agree to them because Wrigley Field is a landmark, and you know, certainly a, a giant electronic scoreboard and you know big ad boards on the outside would require the Landmarks Commission to sign off on those because they're not wouldn't typically be allowed. Um, and if the Cubs are asking for federal um, 
uh, historic preservation money, which they're saying they will, um, the tax credits that are available to anybody renovating a big you know, historic building, um, they would have to go through the National Park Service, and they would have to approve all this. So there's, there's a lot of hurdles that still need to jump. Um, and as you know, I keep stressing, the Cubs have not said this is exactly what they want. We want to do. They have sort of hinted at it. They've you know let slip mention of a scoreboard that could be five thousand or six thousand square feet, but maybe they'll be negotiated down. Um, it, it, there's you know it seems like we've been talking about renovations for, for to Wrigley Field forever. Um, and you know now that there's an actual agreement, it sounds like it seems like there's just as much left to work out as there was before. Yeah, and since the team doesn't plan on planning for recognition to the National Register of Historic Places, and they'll get 20% refurbishment money coming from that. But as you write, there it's under strict uh, construction guidelines, and that's another possible uh, fly in the soup. Yeah, I mean they um, they are going to have to get approval from the Park Service for anything that they that they do. They apply for money for for um, so you know will the Park Service deny the money if they are asking for money, say to rebuild the roof in a historically appropriate way, but at the same time they're building a big you know historically inappropriate scoreboard? That's kind of up to the <laughs> Park Service. Um, you know, it's it, we went through some of this with Fenway Park, um, and clear because they got they got Park Service money, and clearly um, there's some things that you can do that are new, like putting seats on top of the Green Monster, for example, that are considered you know a change in the structure, but it's sort of appropriate to the historic nature of the ballpark. Um, I doubt that the Park Service or you know anybody else would consider a giant electronic scoreboard to be that. Um, and, you know, this is a big issue because the whole attraction of Wrigley is that you go there and you feel like you could be seeing a game in 1970 or 1950 or 1920 um, because you've just got the old hand-operated scoreboard and, you know, you don't, aren't, you don't have ads blaring at you from every which way. And it's part of the reason it's, very, it's attractive to people, you know. I mean, the, the Wrigley draws fans even when the Cubs are terrible, which is usually. Um, and it's what makes the Cubs, you know, a, a very profitable team. So I would hope that Cubs owner Tom Ricketts would understand all this and would, um, you know, realize that he could be killing this goose that lays a golden egg for him. But, um, you know, there's also the desire for just, we want more ad money, and you know, short short term short term thinking often often outweighs long term thinking in these things. Do you think it's going to be like a multi tier thing where they're going to ask for the historic money, do some renovations, and five years down the road when restrictions expire, they're like, oh, we're going to go back and do that giant scoreboard again? Yeah, that's totally a worry. Um, is that they could sort of do like a bait and switch with the with the park service because they're they're certainly not going to to check. I mean. They don't check later on. You know, you ask for money, you do something historic, they say, okay, fine. And it's not like they take it back later. Um, so the, uh, the, you know, there's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of worries here. But, again, Chicago can shut this right down because the Chicago landmarking law is much stricter, and they can just say, no, you can't put up a 6,000-square-foot 6, scoreboard. No, you can't put up a 5,000-square-foot scoreboard. <laughs> you know, they can, they, can, they can say whatever they want because, you know, most of the structure is landmarked, and you really can't do anything to change that, um, you know, without Chicago's approval. So this is, this is in the city of Chicago's hands. Um, and if the, the Cubs are allowed to do something that winds up feeling icky, um, 
it will be because Chicago allowed them to. Yeah. Do you get the sense that Chicago residents have a, a you know a hangover from the horrible renovation done? The soldier failed, and that would make them wary to anything drastic the Ricketts family has in mind. Um. You know, I don't really have a good sense of what. Uh, yeah, I've seen a lot of like comments from Cubs fans, and you know the the predominant feelings seem to be we don't need a stupid scoreboard and. I would really like to be able to get to the restroom and back in less than three innings. <laughs> so, you know, there there are certainly ways that they could do the latter without doing the former. Um, you yeah. know, again, looking at Fenway, what they did was to move a lot of the, you know, back offices and other things that didn't need to be right in the grandstand to a building next door, which is one of the things the Cubs are planning, is building a building next door and then, you know, moving, like, kitchen facilities and things like that over there, and that frees up room for people to actually get around the ballpark. Um, and all that stuff sounds great. Um, the problem is that they're sort of tacking on these things that, you know, I don't think serve anybody. I think even people who want to see replays, um, you know, don't necessarily need a scoreboard that big to see replays on. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and, you know, and I really actually wonder whether people, you know, it seems like there's been this response in uh, the sports world, oh, people are used to, you know, looking on their computers and looking on their TV sets at home, they want to have a big screen, so we're going to put up a giant screen. I wonder whether 10 years from now we're going to be saying, man, that was such a mistake putting up giant screens when really what people want is like, you know, touch screens in the back of the seat in front of them where they can actually control what they're looking at. Yeah. Um, or apps where they can look at on their phones or something like that. I don't know whether, you know, everybody staring at the same giant board is really the long-term answer. Yeah. I don't know about you, just on a personal level, my blood pressure goes up just a little bit more talking about Wrigley rather than Georgia Dome. Georgia Dome makes me upset because it's only 20 years old and they're asking for a lot of money that's going to put Atlanta out and maybe two historic churches where Wrigley is something that's way more historic than, you know, just um, the Georgia Dome, and plus there's money involved. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and and we're talking about a building that, you know, as the decades have passed, has become more and more rare. You know, if you want to go see, a, what's, what's the third oldest baseball stadium? I think it's Dodger Stadium, Yeah, right? Dodgers and then Angels. Stadium. Um, yeah, so I mean, really, if you want to see a stadium, a, a, a baseball game in a stadium that um, you know, even like Ted Williams or uh, someone like that could have played in, you know, who Mickey Mantle, well, Mantle played in some of the more recent ones, but yeah, you know, I mean, it's not like it's not like we're, we're talking about things from the turn, of, you know, the the only the only really old historic stadiums are Fenway and Wrigley, and the only place where you can get that experience of of going to a, a game in one of those buildings. You know, Tiger Stadium's gone, Old Yankee Stadium's gone, Comiskey, you know. Um, even County Stadium in Milwaukee is gone. Um, so it's, it, it really does get worrisome when you think, oh, you know, if they do a bad renovation of Wrigley, it's not just, oh, well, you know, too bad you can't go to Wrigley, but you can still go to... You know, there really isn't anything else like Wrigley out there. Yeah, yeah. We'll move on to New York. Uh, the New York Times on March 14th out of nowhere called for Madison Square Garden to leave its current location to make way for a grand renovation of Penn Station. Fast forward uh, to right now, the idea of uh, moving MSG is gathering predominant uh, supporters. Is there any idea where this is emanating from? You know, I don't know. I mean, the, the Regional Plan Association, which is a sort of... Uh, you know, good government planning group um, that involves some some 
wonky type some developers, you know, a sort of a random assortment of folks who are interested in sort of long-term planning for the New York area. Um, they have been pushing this, and, you know, clearly that's um, one thing that's going on, but they're also pushing things like, you know, taking this old freight line that runs, like, about a mile from my house and using it to build a new, like, subway line that would run across all the outer boroughs, like, you know, at a right angle to all the other tra- trains that exist, um, which isn't a bad idea, but, you know, they, they, they sort of specialize in these sort of big, you know, flashy, kind of crazy ideas that often don't happen. And yet, you know, they've got the New York Times editorial, um, they've got the uh, Manhattan Borough president on their side. Um, you know, in the abstract, the idea of it sure would be nice to have a, a bigger, you know, Penn Station. I mean, if anybody's been to Penn Station in the last 50 years, um, you know, it's it's one of the ugliest underground <laughs> train stations <laughs> you can imagine. Um, but, you know, the problem is that, you know, we once we have, we have you know, built Madison Square Garden on top of it, now renovated it twice since then. Um, you know, you in order to build a new Madison Square Garden that would, um, you know, be up to the scale of this thing that was just renovated. You know, you're going to have to find money. You're going to have to find land. You're going to have to find money then to build whatever you're going to do with Penn Station um, if you were to move Madison Square Garden. You know, it's 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 an interesting idea, and the fact that um, you know, and saying. Well, let's not renew the permit for the garden to stay there for more than another ten years, and sort of think about what else we could do. Isn't a terrible one, but it seems like people are really rushing into this. Wow, if we could just move the garden and build a new Penn Station, that'd be great. Without thinking about okay, and who is going to come up with the billions of dollars that it's going to require to do this, and does it then make sense? Yeah, and that's my concern. You know, is not is this an interesting idea? But are we, you know? Uh, committing ourselves to a you know a trajectory that is then going to lead to okay now we now we finally cleared the way to build all this stuff how do we pay for it and that's always the danger with stadium projects right is that you start with here's what we want to do and then figure out how we're going to pay for it instead of starting <laughs> with how much would it cost is it really worth it yeah, so Madison Square Garden has been getting a property tax break at $15 million a year because someone in 1982 forgot to put an end date on the original bill. Um, is a recent action in Albany, the state capital, to end the subsidy any, re- any way related to the current drive to end the lease at MSG? Um, I think probably only in that uh, everybody pretty much uh, hates uh, hates. Uh, the Dolans who own Cablevision and MSG. <laughs> so there's lots of people who are who are willing to take them on at this point. But, you know, people have been calling for getting rid of this tax break forever. Um, and it's nice that there are some folks in Albany who are actually introducing a bill to do it, but I don't necessarily think, given, given you know, that the New York State Legislature is one of the most historically dysfunctional legislatures in, in the country, um, I'm not wholly out hope that anything's going to change anytime soon. I mean, you know, like you said, in 1982, um, the city gave this tax break to uh, Madison Square Garden in order to keep the Nixon Rangers from moving out of town. And Ed Koch claims he thought that it was, he was only doing it for 10 years. And then, you know, somebody actually read this legislation, and it, it didn't say that it was going to expire in 10 years. You would think <laughs> at that point somebody could go back to the legislature and say, hey, you forgot to write an end date to it. And they would say, oh, okay, yeah, we'll fix that. But, you know, somehow... 31 years have passed, and no one has gotten around to it, despite the fact that every year the amount of the tax break goes up because the value of the property goes up. So, uh, 
you know, it, all this stuff gets caught up in weird little politics um, and, you know, sort of who's siding with who and who's lobbying whom. So I, I hope that this eventually leads to a more rational discussion about the about the tax break, but I'm not holding my breath. Yeah. Any updates on the Kings tug of war between Sacramento and Seattle? And will the Milwaukee Bucks get involved to make it a threesome? You know, it's really weird. Like everything has sort of died down. You know, you had this this sort of back and forth with uh, with Seattle up in the ante and saying, you know, Chris Hansen saying we'll pay twenty five million more, and Sacramento trying to increase, you know, shore up their offer. And um, the you know NBA had a meeting on I think a committee meeting I think on Thursday, um, and they came out of it and said, okay, well, you know, it's going to be a couple of weeks at least. Um, and then everything has just gotten really quiet. So I, you know. I still expect it, a decision will probably be later rather than sooner. I would be mildly surprised if something doesn't happen during May, but not shocked, um, just because, again, uh, it's in the NBA's interest to drag out this bidding war. Um, as for the Bucks, you know, they're, they keep uh, sort of stirring the pot, you know, implying, well, you know, we've got this new five-year lease, but that just means that we only have five years to deal with this arena situation. Um, and, you know, implying that we don't want to move, but the NBA isn't going to let us stay here very much longer because um, our stadium is, you know, I guess in uh, another five years it'll be like 30 years old. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know, exactly. Um, <laughs> Madison Square Garden at this point is, well, let's see, right now it's 34. No, 45 years old, I think. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, I don't know. I, there's lots of rumors about, well, will the Bucks, you know, if, if uh, Seattle gets the Kings, will Sacramento get the Bucks? Um, it, it, there's nothing real at this point. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, it, right now the NBA, again, is really happy to have more cities than teams. Yeah. Because, you know, you can always do what, like what the NFL has done with L.A. And, you know, as long as there's one slot open in the musical chairs, you can say, <laughs> right? You can say, oh, well, you know, everybody's got to be scared because you never know who's going to move there. Yeah, oh, exactly. Um, my guest has been Neil DeMoss. He runs com. Talk to you next week. Next week. Okay. okay. So um, this is our pledge drive. 949-824-5824 is the number to reach us. And uh, for a $35 level pledge, you can get a KUCI t-shirt or a CD. Um, and then also with a $30, $50 pledge.